God's secret place. The Most High shades your sleep. You say to the Lord, my strong refuge, my God, in whom I trust. God saves you from the fowler's snares and from deadly disease. The Lord's pinions are over you. You hide beneath God's wings. Do not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence stalking in darkness, the plague laying waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but you will not be stricken. The faithful God is your shield and tower. oppressors punished. As for you, the Lord is your refuge. You have made the Most High your shelter. Evil will not befall you, nor harm approach your tent. On your behalf, God commanded the angels to guard you in all your ways. Their hands will lift you high, lest you catch your foot on a stone. You shall step on lion and snake. Tread down, young lion and serpent. I will save those who cling to me and protect those who know my name. They call and I answer them. I am with them in their distress. I will, I will rescue, rescue them and, and reward them. I satisfy them with long life and show them my saving power. First Sunday in Lent traditionally begins with the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And this year it's the Gospel of Luke's turn. So a reading from Luke 4, 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give the glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands he will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, do not put your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. 
It's Lent. Yay. (laughs) Everyone's favorite time of year at church. Because we love to be given the opportunity to stop focusing on what's wrong with everyone else and just look at what's wrong with ourselves for a moment. If I'm being honest, I have to admit, I'm not a fan of the scripture reading. Jesus tempted in the wilderness. I never have been. It doesn't seem attainable. It doesn't seem applicable to my life. Forty days without food for no apparent reason. Alone in the wilderness, sparring with the devil, standing on the precipice of the temple, turning down bread when you're starving, being offered control of the kingdoms of the world. It's hard to see how this scripture could possibly help me on my faith journey, except to see that Jesus is the real thing, who he says he is, one who can be trusted with the things of God and of God's kingdom. In the Missouri Ozarks where I grew up, the end of July and the beginning of August always meant that it was time for the Ozarks Empire Fair. My family would go every year to the fair, usually on free ride day. Now free ride day was always crowded and because it was the height of summer, it was always hot. You'd sit down on the Ferris wheel and the fiberglass seat that had been baking in the hot sun could burn you through your clothes. One year when I was about 13 or 14, my mom and her best friend from church took all four of their kids to the fair. Now each family had two children and I was the oldest and their daughter Laura was just a little bit younger than me and then we each have a much younger brother who are the same age as each other. I had some money in my pocket already, but our moms had given us some money as well to buy food and play some games. And they let the two of us go off by ourselves into the sights and sounds of the fairgrounds with no parental supervision. For the first time ever, while our moms stayed among the kiddie rides with our two younger brothers. And we were feeling pretty grown up and flush with cash as we took off into the midway. Now my speed of carnival game as as a child was the duck pond where you scoop up the duck with a net and win a prize every single time. Or the water guns where you try to be the first one to get your balloon to fill up all the way until it pops. But on this particular day we came upon a game that had those huge teddy bears hanging all the way across of the booth. And Laura really wanted to win one. It was the game where you're handed a softball and you have to toss it into the bushel basket that was angled toward you. Now the baskets were the ones that were made out of wood with the red and the green bands around them like you'd see apples or peaches in. Now it wasn't hard to get the ball into the basket. It was a pretty big target. The hard part was keeping the ball in the basket which is what you had to do in order to win a prize. The ball's tendency was to just bounce back out as soon as you threw it in. But the guy running the game, he made it look so easy. He'd just stand there and lob those balls over and over again into the basket, and it stayed in there every single time. So after I watched him a few times, I thought to myself, I can do that. I can't fault the carny. He was just doing his job, and he was really good at it. 
it didn't seem like he was working for anybody except for me. He came across as a good guy trying his best to help me win that prize. My brain kept telling me, maybe it's time to stop. You spent enough money. But he made it seem so fun in the moment. And then there was my friend cheering me on, hoping that I would win her the grand prize, encouraging me to keep going. And I didn't wake up from the trance that I was under until I was too embarrassed to admit that I had spent all of my money. I had literally been talked into handing every single dollar I had into my pockets, had in my pockets, to win a prize that I didn't even want in the first place. And the bitter taste left in my mouth was from the shocking realization that not everyone in the world has my best interest in mind. Often, more likely, they have their best interest in mind. And in the Netflix movie version of my life, on that swelteringly hot August day, as I turned away from the game in failure, with my hands shoved down into my now empty pockets, and the carny taunting me to come back, and my friend pulling on my arm saying, don't quit now, we've almost got it. <laughs> the musical score playing in the background is Don Henley singing, this is the end of the innocence. That moment shaped me. It set me on a diff different path, one where I was determined to never allow myself to be taken advantage of again. To not waste money on frivolous pursuits. To be wary, cautious, before handing over something that belonged to me again. Be careful who you trust. We know what it is to be tempted, to get caught up in a moment only to regret it later. But nowhere does it say that it's wrong to be tempted. We wouldn't be living life if we didn't find ourselves tempted in some ways at some times. Tempted to cheat, tempted to take something that doesn't belong to us, tempted to lie, tempted to eat something that we know we shouldn't. The real issue comes when we give in to that temptation when we drop our guard and allow ourselves to do something that we know isn't right, or even to witness something we know isn't right and do nothing. And in the process, allowing ourselves to be led astray from who God calls us to be. We still have this story of Jesus going out into the wilderness by himself. No food to eat for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, Luke says, the devil tried to smooth talk him into doing things that were seemingly in Jesus' best interest. But Jesus knows better. Now going off by yourself into the wilderness and fasting for several days was not a new thing in the scriptures. The wilderness was a place with no distractions. And fasting, when you think about it, goes hand in hand with being in the wilderness. There's no restaurants, no farms. No fruit orchards in the wilderness. For the most part, you're only going to have what you bring in with you. So trying to find food with, would actually end up being quite a distraction. You could spend all your focus just looking for something to eat. But put that aside for a moment, because more importantly in the scriptures, 
The wilderness was where people went to meet God. Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, and others encounter God in the wilderness. The wilderness was also the place where Israel was formed. And the number of days, 40, is significant. 40 echoes both the 40 days that Moses spent on the mountain of Sinai and the length of Elijah's journey to Horeb. The very two men that appeared last week um, next to Jesus in the transfiguration story. But perhaps most of all, the number 40 echoes the years Israel spent wandering in the wilderness. We know that's significant for when Jesus replies to the devil during his temptations, each of his answers comes from the book of Deuteronomy's description of Israel's wilderness experience. But the difference is now, where Israel had failed, Jesus now succeeds. In each response to temptation, Jesus is faithful to God's commands while quoting a a passage from Deuteronomy which shows Israel's previous failure. To the offer of bread, Deuteronomy 8.3, he humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then to back it up, Jesus then spends his ministry feeding people's bodies and spirits. And to the offer of worshiping someone or something other than the one true God, hinting at the Israelites' worship of the golden calf, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.13, The Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name alone you shall swear. And when the devil tries to get clever and begins to quote scripture as he encourages Jesus to show his superpowers, and thereby to rule the kingdoms of the world? Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6.16, Do not put the Lord God to the test, as the Israelites had done. And then Jesus spends his life inviting, not compelling, people into the kingdom of God. David Lowe says, Each temptation is about trusting God something that Israel over and over again in its history failed to do. There's a crucial link between trust and temptation. To the degree that we trust God for our daily needs, for our sense of purpose, for our our identity as a child of God, the temptations of the world have frankly little appeal. But to the degree that we allow our natural insecurity to lead us to mistrust God, We're open to the possibility, appeal, and temptation of believing that it's all up to us. That God is not able to provide, and so we'd better take matters into our own hands. C.S. Lewis takes it one step further. He says that the temptations are temptations to trust in something far less than what God offers us. To be satisfied with less. Ultimately, our Luke reading is about whether Jesus trusts God for his future and his identity. And as much as the text applies to us, it also asks us as children of God, as sisters and brothers of Jesus, if we are trusting God as Jesus did for our identity, direction, 
and purpose. So are we? Are we trusting God as Jesus did for our identity, our purpose, our direction? I like what Frederick Buechner says about Lent. He says that each year in Lent we have an opportunity to give one-tenth of our year to God, a tithe of our days. Now, the math doesn't work out exactly, but 365 divided by 10, just three and a half days short of 40. But what should we do with these 40 days? After being baptized by John in the wilderness, we know what Jesus did. He went off alone into the wilderness where he spent time asking himself the question, what it meant to be Jesus. So maybe we should do the same thing during this season of Lent. Not go off in the wilderness, but we should ask the question, one way or another, what it means to be us, our call, our God-given purpose, our identity as a child of God. I think it's important to note that the temptations came immediately after Jesus' baptism. It had just been publicly declared whose he was, This is my son, God said. He belonged to God, and then Jesus is immediately put to the test to show whether or not his baptism meant anything. Have you paid attention to our baptismal vows? There are lines you might expect about repenting of sin and confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior and promising to serve him. But there's also this question. Do you accept the power... God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. God gives us power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. Do you feel powerful in the face of injustice? Do you feel powerful enough to stand up to the bullies of this world? God gives us the power to resist. Resist what? Complacency? Addiction? Exclusion? Thinking someone else will fix the problem? I feel like we buried the lead in the way we teach our faith. Are we using the power God gives us to resist? Are we tapped into it? Do we embrace the courage to live out our faith in that way? I found myself thinking about my baptismal vows this past week as I watched the news from Ukraine and Russia. And I've never felt more ready to join a fight for what's right than I do right now. Not just in Ukraine, but in every issue where the bullies of the world cause harm to others. But it's scary to stand up for what we know is right. The trap I and we always fall into is that we know we can't do it alone. So we think about changing the world for a while in the wildness of our dreams. But then we start believing the voices that tell us that we can't make a difference by ourselves. Or that it's someone else's problem, not ours. And as quickly as the thought arrived, we move on to something else. Something easier. Something that makes us feel safe. Or worse yet, we're tempted to do nothing. It's interesting to note that the scripture ends with, when the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. 
But the, the, the Gospels never speak again of a showdown between the devil and Jesus. I think I have a good idea of why. I think the devil knew he wouldn't be successful taking Jesus head on. He'd have to use a different approach. So he convinced others to do his dirty work. And what plays out in the Gospels from this point forward as Jesus heads toward Jerusalem is a road paved with betrayal and denial and misuse of power by those in religious authority. And you can throw in jealousy and intolerance and a campaign of misinformation toward Jesus. In this time of the world we live in and the church we are a part of, taking sides on just about every issue possible, we need to check ourselves and see if we're paying more attention to the voices that come at us from every direction than we are to Jesus. When what we stand for causes no real good for anyone, and harms others except that it makes us feel better about ourselves, maybe we need to step back and question why the battle is worth fighting. On the other hand, if the battle results in good for others and ultimately harms no one, why wouldn't we join in that fight? This is what Jesus teaches us with this experience in the desert. We can't wander through life. Jesus invites us to live fully engaged, to think through the implications of our actions as well as our intentions. He encourages us to meet the challenges of the world wrapped in the word, confident in our relationship with God, and certain in the presence of the Spirit with us always. The same Jesus who said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, and said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it unto me. And do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And this doozy, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And finally, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Believing in God, trusting in Jesus should shape us. It should have an impact on our lives. These stories of Jesus, his words, his actions, they should inform our decision making and direct our paths. If we can put our trust in Jesus, if we can let ourselves be gathered up in Jesus, then the good news is that we are by default in the same place, with Jesus, but also with each other. Do we daily trust in Jesus enough to believe that he has our best interest in mind? Or said another way, why would we ever think that Jesus doesn't or wouldn't have our best interest in mind? Too often we've treated Jesus like he's a prize to be won rather than a relationship we enter into. Jesus needs to be more than something we win at the fair that gets taken home and put on the shelf next to our third grade Bible, only to be forgotten, to be looked at on occasion. Jesus 
has always called his disciples into relationship with him. Jesus calls us deeper, ever closer. And when we work on building that relationship, on strengthening that relationship, there's power, there's connection, there's support, and hallelujah, there's transformation. Where does it start? Well, we could start by reading the Gospel of Luke as we enter into Lent together. And if you finish that, just keep on reading into the Gospel of John. Spend some time in prayer and meditation. This Lent is an opportune time for all to go on looking for Jesus. And if you're not sure where to look, let me let you in on a little secret. He's right there. We're all about to be invited to an encounter with the living Christ. There's never been a better time than right now to draw closer to Jesus. Amen.